Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Like I already said, I, we had planned this Sunday to be um, a Sunday where I was going to preach a message from Sandra Marla's favorite passage, but we decided to delay that for a few weeks. And so um, after doing sermon prep for that, I found myself left with what to do with this Sunday. Um, I didn't have the time to study and prepare for Sermon on the Mount. I promise we are going to get back into that. So what I thought I would do was just preach kind of a topical sermon Um, out of the overflow of what God has been doing in my life, personally. Some of you know this, many of you, most of you don't know this, but I am actually emerging from an incredibly difficult season. Um, I don't want that to sound cryptic, there's nothing wrong morally or circumstantially with me. But these past few months have been um, exceedingly difficult uh, for me and my family, and soon I'll be sharing that experience with all of you. Again, I don't want that to be alarming, nothing bad. Um, But I've been struggling, and yet, as is often the case, those struggles have yielded sweet intimacy with God like I haven't experienced in a long time, frankly. And what I want to do this morning is pastorally share with you some of the things that I have discovered during this season. I would like you, the congregation I love, to learn from what God has been showing me First, let me offer a word to those um, who are here or maybe listening online who are not Christians. Uh, this sermon, more than, any, uh, more than most sermons, will come across as kind of family talk, so to speak, insider talk. But I would still love for you to listen in. Something strange happens when someone decides to follow Jesus. Suddenly, we want Jesus more than anything else in life, more than any experiences this world has to offer. We want to experience God, as my sermon title says. I know our lives don't always look that way, by the way. I know sometimes you look at our lives and might say, do they really love God? But at the end of the day, that is ultimately what we want. We want God. And so I'm going to try to help those who want God to find God this morning. I know that may seem strange to you, but I would suggest that it's actually what you are ultimately seeking to C.S. Lewis says that we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. What if all of your worldly pursuits were actually heavenly pursuits? I think that's the case. So perhaps consider that you also were made for what I will be discussing with Christians this morning. Now, there are many passages that have been precious to me during uh, the past few months, but one of the main ones is Psalm 27. I read the 
whole psalm for us. But specifically, I have been clinging to verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That has been my cry. The essence of that cry is I just want to experience God. I can walk through anything, Lord, if I just have you. If I can just dwell with you. If I could just gaze upon your beauty. Give me your presence. But this is uh, frustratingly tenuous, is it not? How? Right? How do we experience God who is not tangibly available to us? I want to answer that question with this sermon. And I want to share uh, unique ways that we can, in fact, experience God until that blessed day when we will actually experience God. Um, I have five of them. Let me tell you up front, and then we'll go through each. By waiting for God, by obeying God, by sharing God, by the people of God, and by trusting God. Let's go through each. First, by waiting for God. Now, noticeably absent in that list I just read is prayer. Which is ironic because prayer is the primary way in which we experience God. But I'm not neglecting prayer. I'm simply asking us to rethink prayer. My belief is this. Waiting upon God is an element of prayer that we desperately need to recover. Patient silence is a part of prayer. Our psalm ends with these words, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. But that is not an isolated passage. Repeatedly in Scripture, waiting in silence before the Lord, waiting for His presence, waiting for His clarity, waiting for Him to act, waiting for Him to answer prayer, waiting in stillness and silence is a normative experience for those who want to experience God. His presence cannot be conjured up. His voice cannot be summoned. His spirit cannot be forced. Instead, by faith, we wait upon the Lord until He is pleased to visit us with his presence. Now, why do you suppose he works this way? Well, because God is God. He is not on our terms. We are on his. He doesn't fit into our schedule. We fit into his. His presence cannot be Googled. If there was a formula to experience God, then he's like a genie in the bottle that we just summon up and we want something from him. But this is not the nature of our relationship with God. Because fundamental to our relationship with God is that he is in control, not us. And so he makes us wait in a posture of dependence. That dependency is actually what he's after. With patience and stillness, we wait until the sovereign spirit who blows where he wishes sees fit to grace us with an awareness of his presence, with an assurance of his love, a sense of his peace, a taste of his glory. Perhaps he will even grant one of those splendid moments where heaven breaks through and God is as real to you as if Jesus were sitting next to you. That can happen. That does happen. That will happen. But it cannot be forced. It must be waited upon. So two things that are probably missing 
from your prayer life is silence and patience. And the reason why I know these are weaknesses for you is because silence and patience are virtually impossible for Americans. We live in an obnoxiously loud and instant gratification society. And so silence and patience are not disciplines we possess. And what we do is we try to fit our relationship with God into these American constructs. But I'm sorry, God doesn't act according to the noisy busyness of American society. God is waiting for you. But he is waiting for you outside the norms of modern American life. He is waiting for you in a day-long prayer retreat. He is waiting in a silent stillness of the morning before society rises for another busy day. He is waiting in a walk through nature without AirPods or cell phone. He is waiting for you in stillness, silence, and patience. Simply put, if we are going to experience God, we're going to have to find ways to remove ourselves from the norms of our noisy lives of instant gratification and wait in silence upon the Lord to break through with his presence. And he will. All right, next, by obeying God. It's interesting that our psalm is crying out for the presence of God, but it includes this, teach me your ways, O Lord, lead me on the level path. There is some connection between one thing I ask that I may dwell with God and gaze upon the beauty of God and teach me to obey. And that principle is likewise all over Scripture. For example, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In the same way I've helped us conceive of prayer differently, allow me to challenge the way we approach our Bibles. Of course, we know that the Bible is an important part of experiencing God. We know this. But what are we supposed to do with this book? Read it? Yes, of course. Study it? Yes. Meditate upon it? Yes. These are all important. But I have an additional suggestion. How about we obey it? That's James' point. When he plainly says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed by his doing. James, he will be blessed by his doing. Psalm 19, in keeping the law of the Lord, there is great reward. Now, what do you suppose is this blessing and reward? Money? If anything, obedience to God will cost you money. Prestige and honor, if anything, obedience to God will make you unpopular. Success in this world, it won't get you that. Satisfying your appetites, you will actually have to practice self-denial. What reward is there in obeying God? God. Experiencing God is found in obeying God. Something interesting about the Scriptures is that God is not the only thing spoken of as our ultimate joy and satisfaction. Do you know what else is? The law of God. Particularly Psalm 119, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 
Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Oh, Lord, your law is my delight. The scriptures speak of God's law like it speaks of God himself. Here's the connection. The law of the Lord is so precious because it is the pathway into enjoyment of God, into experiencing God. As we walk according to the ways of God, we experience the presence of God. I have a challenge for you to put to test this week. What are your besetting temptations? This week, I want you to add a a more resolved, particular attention to those. I want you to tell yourself no like never before. Maybe it's your tongue, gossip, slander. Maybe it's the lust of your flesh, pornography, substance addiction, food addiction. Maybe it's your lack of integrity, lies, manipulation, twisting the rules to get what you want. Maybe it's greediness, selfishness, stingy with your resources. This week, I want you to repent like never before. Say no to that temptation. Obey God even though you don't want to. And then notice what that experience will be like. It will be hard. It will feel like a death of sorts, but something else will happen. I promise you, you will have a sense of joy, satisfaction, pleasure, peace with God in a way that is not available to a life of indulgence. Simply put, the presence of God is not found in disobedience, but in obedience. Third, by sharing God. In John 7, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's another way of saying, come to me and experience me. If you're thirsty for my presence, then come and drink. But again, how? Well, then he adds this interesting tidbit. He says to those who drink of Jesus, out of them will come streams of living water. So the pattern is that we drink of the water of Christ's presence, and then out of us that water flows to others. In other words experiencing Jesus is not complete when we experience him, but rather when that experience overflows to others, that they too might experience him. To reference C.S. Lewis again, he says it like this, we delight to share what we delight to share what we enjoy because that sharing not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. Here's what he's saying testifying about what you enjoy is not just an expression. It is an actual step, a crucial step in the process of the enjoyment. It completes your joy. If you take away the expression, then you take away an important part of the experience. And you know this from the other experiences of your life. Posting your experiences on Facebook, Instagram, it's not exclusively a vain act. Of course, there's vanity wrapped up in it, but there's also something very noble going on there. You can't help yourself. You must share what you have experienced. If you don't, it actually diminishes the experience. There's an odd verse at the beginning of 1 John. The letter begins with three verses of doxology, effusive praise of Jesus. Then in verse 4, John says something very interesting. I write these things so that my joy may be complete. John is completing his joy in Jesus by telling about Jesus. So the implications are obvious. 
You actually experience Jesus in unique ways when you share Jesus with others. There is a unique experience of His presence when it is not held in, but shared. And if you look back on those times that you have shared Jesus with others, you know this to be true. You will share your faith. You will share the gospel. They may reject it, but you walk away more assured of what you believe. You sacrificially share the love of God through justice and mercy for the poor and needy. And you find yourself more blessed than even they are by your service. And the opposite is true. If there is not a witness flowing out from our lives to the world around us, we will never experience God like we so long to experience Him. A silent Christianity is a joyless Christianity. Or to put it positively, we experience God by sharing God. All right, fourth, by the people of God. The psalmist cries out to dwell in the house of the Lord. I just want to be in your house. Well, where is the house that God resides? In the context, the psalmist was crying out for the temple. I want to be in your temple, the, the house of the presence of the Lord. But there is no temple in the new covenant. But actually, there is. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The Old Testament temple has been replaced by you and me and all those who have the presence of God's spirit within. Later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, you are the body of Christ. What if that famous verse was not as metaphorical as we suppose? What if literally the physical manifestation of Jesus Christ was the collective people of Jesus Christ? If we are the temple of God housing the spirit of Christ, then that is exactly how we should interpret that. So the entire premise of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's important book, Life Together. Bonhoeffer views the fellowship of God's people as the actual fellowship of God himself. And I think this concept is thoroughly biblical. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name... I'm there. I'm among you. Bonhoeffer takes passages like this on face value and claims that the real experience of God is found in the real experience of God's people. To cry in Christian community is to cry literally to God. To laugh in Christian community is literally to laugh with God. To be loved by Christian community is literally to be loved by God. You know how it's difficult to introspectively convince yourself that your sins truly are forgiven? Well, if you allowed yourself to be vulnerable with your sins, if you sat down with a trusted brother or sister and confessed what you fear to name, and then they looked you in the eyes and said, the gospel can handle that. You truly are forgiven. You would believe it in a way you struggle to believe it when reasoning with yourself. You know how it's difficult to talk yourself out of despair and hopelessness? If you sat down with a brother and sister and they looked you in the eyes and said without an ounce of uncertainty, God loves you, He has you, His promises are sure, hope is certain, you're going to be fine in the end. It would feel as if God Himself was giving you those promises. You get my point. 
The very real presence of God is waiting for you in the very real presence of His people. So if you are depriving yourself of Christian community, if you're resisting the church membership thing, the parish group thing, you are depriving yourself of Jesus Himself. Simply put, if you find yourself asking, where is God? The answer is sitting in the pews of this room. All right, last one. By trusting God. There's a peculiar resoluteness to our psalm. He pleads to be with God, to gaze upon the beauty of God, and then immediately, for He will hide me in His shelter. He will, He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. My head shall be lifted up. I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He will, I will, he is confident that he will have what he is longing for in the psalm because he knows God will deliver on his promises. It is good and right to talk about the means of experiencing a taste of the presence of God. But there does come a point where the Christian must choose faith over sight. Trust over circumstances. The Christian journey is what it is. We believe Jesus and his promises more than what is before us, more than our emotional experiences, more than what we sense or can reason with ourselves. We believe Jesus more than all of it. Unlike all other temporal joys, which are experienced through the five senses of the body, God is ultimately experienced through the eyes of faith. Even when he is not there, we trust he is there. Even when he feels distant, we trust he is actually near. Even when we lack control and clarity, we trust he is in control and things are clear to him. Even when hope seems lost, we trust hope is sure. Even when we face death, we know Jesus is risen from the dead. And then, brothers and sisters... What we have trusted in will come to pass. Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. When this troubled journey of struggling trust, this path of longing for the presence of God to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, which, yes, has been sprinkled with moments where we do get a taste of that, it is going to give way to its fullness. The fullness of God's presence as our final and eternal destiny. But we're not there yet. Until then, we who long to experience God, wait for God, obey God, share God, fellowship with the people of God, and above all else, trust our God, knowing that that trust is not in vain. Let me pray. Lord, how can we talk about communion with you, experiencing with you without immediately coming to your table? All of these applications are good, but this is the application of experiencing God. So now, give us experience of your presence through your holy sacrament. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.